Welcome to Nebraskanomics, where we help Nebraskans remove barriers to opportunity with policy research and legislative advice. I'm your host, Jim Vogel, CEO of the Platt Institute, a Nebraska-based think tank promoting policies that make it easier to get a good job, start a business, and help Nebraskans keep more of what they earn. If you want more economic freedom in Nebraska, then let's get started. Welcome to Nebraskanomics. I'm Jim Vocal, your host. And today I'm joined by our esteemed staff member, Michael Lucci, our senior tax policy advisor. Michael, welcome to Nebraskanomics. Jim, thanks for having me on again. So if you're following Platt in our tax ana analysis, you're, you're probably reading something that Michael wrote. Michael's got an extensive state tax history and experience. And so I'm glad he's here today to kind of walk us through the Nebraska tax proposals that are on the table. But before we get to the good and, and the bad about those proposals, Michael, let's, let's remind our listeners, number one, that we just came off of a historic 2023 session where we delivered the most transformative tax package that we've seen here in Nebraska, the largest tax package, I believe, in, in the country. And so the natural progression would be to continue the momentum on the property tax standpoint. We've got the seventh highest rates. Taxpayers are seeing humongous increases in their valuation. So free tax reform is logical. But walk our, walk our listeners through why it's tough for the state to significantly impact those, those local decisions. Well, like you're saying, we have tremendous momentum. Without a question, Nebraska did the best tax reform of 2023. And we can also remember, if you add up 2022 and 2023, it's $3,000 of tax relief every year for every Nebraska household once those are all phased in. So a lot of that work was income tax reform. The legislature did repeal the community college property tax. That's going to knock 5 to 6% off your property tax bill. That's meaningful savings for sure. Uh, folks should see that tax liability go away for them. Uh, and as you said, it's, it's logical to now turn to the property tax. Why? Well, valuations have soared and with that tax collections have also often soared. And if you look at what the state did, the state got a lot of new tax revenue and they said, hey, let's cut rates. Let's cut the tax rates. So that's what I think the state should ask the local governments to do. When your revenues go up, by, or sorry, when valuations go up by 20%, you got to lower the tax rate because otherwise you're going to get 20% more revenue and you don't need 20% more revenue. When the state revenue went up 20%, they lowered the tax rate, the income tax rate. So when the locals revenue goes up, they should also lower the tax rate. So that's talking about like kind of new collections going forward. Don't be getting these gushers of revenue without providing tax relief. But there is a challenge um, because states don't write the spending plans for local governments. And it's not so simple to just say like, hey, cut local government spending by, you know, 20 percent or whatever you would try to impose on them, because local governments do have to kind of figure that out. Um, I will differentiate one area. And we just mentioned it is when you're talking about education. Um, with respect to community college education, the state just said we're going to take that over. And I think that's a re we're going to take the funding over. That's a reasonable thing to do because education, whether you talk about K-12 or community college, that has always been a joint state local effort. They both kind of pitch in 
And I think that what we're going to look at with the K-12 schools, where there's all these income tax credits, there's credits you could get to offset the property taxes you pay. I think it's reasonable to look at knocking down the actual property tax that you pay for K-12 schools by reallocating some of these tax credits. And that's what the governor's talking about doing. So within that scope of directly lowering K-12 property taxes, I think that there's a good, really good thing to do there, basically along the lines of what the governor's talking about. But as you circle back, there are limits on how much the state government could come in and say, we're going to jam down the local property tax. There are great opportunities to do it. Nebraska did one last year with community colleges. There's more to do with K-12 schools. But we can't just kind of say there's no more property tax. They'll create more problems than it than it solves. Okay, so you set that up really nicely. The governor has an admirable goal of reducing 40 uh, property taxes by 40%. Let's walk through one side of the equation. And he, and he gets there by some sales tax revenue and by repurposing credits. And we're going to get there in a second. But I'm going to have you walk through two or three components that the Platt Institute really likes about this package. The first is something that you already mentioned, and that's the Texas model. When valuations go up, the rates have to come down to offset that completely. And then I want you to dive into the hard cap components. And then finally, we can circle back to the, the these credits that you're talking about. So let's start with, with the, the Texas model component that's part of the Nebraska tax package on the table right now. Yeah. So the Texas model, in short, it says if valuation goes up, rate automatically goes down to offset that. So you could imagine if the valuation goes up by 20%, as it has in some parts of the state, maybe 15, maybe 10, whatever it is, those are all huge increases. The Texas model would say, okay, the rate has to come down to offset all of that increased tax revenue, except for a, an allowable kind of year over year increase. And I'll just call it 3% per year. It might be a little higher, a little lower than that, but valuation goes up 20%. We need the rate to go down by the appropriate amount so that revenue only goes up by a little bit. It doesn't go up by, by 20%. So that's the, the Texas model. There are a number of ways you could get to that. And there are at least two proposals in the legislature that, that do get to that. And, and that is the same conversation and it's really the same accomplishment as putting a hard cap on property taxes. So when we say a hard cap, we're not talking about the rate because if you cap the rates, but the valuation goes up, your taxes are going way up. So when we talk about a hard cap, we're talking about a cap on tax dollars collected, property tax dollars com collected in some local jurisdiction, a county or a city or whatever. And so if you collect $100 this year, and now we put a cap on it and the cap says, okay, that can grow by 3%. I'm just going to use the number 3%. That means next year you can collect $103. You're also allowed to collect less than $103. We, of course, encourage that. But that's the concept of a hard cap. It caps the number of tax dollars that could be collected from property owners across the whole jurisdiction. And again, that kind of has the same effect. If you could only increase dollars of taxes collected, then if valuations go up, the rate must go down. And then to, to, to round this out with how can you actually lower property taxes? So again, let's say there's $100 being collected 
and you're going to allow a little bit of increase. But let's say that that's a school district. There's $100 of property tax being collected in a school district. And, you know, this is an indirect thing. But on the back end, the property tax payer is getting this credit from the state to offset that $100 of property taxes. Well, if you just take that $100, and the governor's basically proposing this, or sorry, you just take that credit, and that credit is often worth 25% of the, t- of the property tax in the jurisdiction. So instead of having $100 of property tax collected, and then there's some credit out here, we just put the credit in up front and lower that property tax burden to $75. We wa- wiped out seven, uh, 25% of it. So that is kind of the reallocation of the property tax relief credit. Put it in up front, force the property tax levy down to offset that dollar for dollar, and then you could kind of go forward normal course of business from there. My biggest frustration is, that, well, let me take a step back. I hear so much angst against assessors here in Nebraska. And I want to remind people that my biggest frustration isn't necessarily with the, the assessor. The, the problem that we've had over the last decade here in Nebraska is that political subdivisions and elected officials associated with those political subdivisions have experienced giant windfalls because valuations have gone up. And what have they done with it? They've spent it and not lowered the rate to completely offset that. And so this shell game has been taking place for a long time. And I think that uh, the, the property tax collection cap that you talked about and then the Texas model will greatly alleviate uh, that, that, that problem that we have here in the Nebraska landscape. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I, I think that how you describe it as shell game is super important because it, it does kind of clarify uh, who's paying what and where you can lower the, the actual tax burden and not letting local governments off the hook. And actually, as you said that, it reminded me of a concept that you actually came uh, to me with a couple months ago. And then Nicole and others on the team um, said, you know, there's one last shell game to get at. And that's the bonding that local governments do to pay for new projects. And you, bonding is perfectly fine mechanism to finance local government. But what we notice and what Platt's proposing a solution for is to say, when you go to voters to get approval for that bond, we want that to be on a November election where voters are really showing up to decide on it, not some random election in March, April, May, where people maybe they know, maybe they don't know, where you have really low voter turnout. And the folks who turn out tend to be the folks who want more money spent. They want that bond to go through. And so that was another, that, that's maybe that the last part of the shell game that we noticed and we really want to clean up this year is even if you get that hard cap on property taxes, we don't want to allow them to do some bonding on the side to just get around the cap. Bonding is fine, but make sure the voters really actually want to do that new spend. And it's not its not some bond election where 12% of the population actually comes in and says what they think. We want 60%, 70%, as much as possible of the voting population to weigh in on those decisions. So, Michael, anything else you want to bring out for our listeners on the, the, the good policy reforms that we're seeing from a property tax front this legislative session? I would say, you know, there's some comparison to last year where Nebraska looked at having an income tax problem that it had been chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then last year it said, we're going to put through a bunch of amazing solutions. I think there's a real opportunity that that is the outcome after this year on the property tax. There's a 
we've been chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, but there's some transformor, transformative solutions like taking those property tax credit dollars and just using it to directly lower your property tax bill. That'll be a big deal. Putting a hard cap on, if you get that in, that's a really big deal. So I, I think that that is the opportunity is, you know, if, if, if everything falls into place with great leadership, we're going to look at this year as the transformation on property taxes, like we look at last year as the transformation on income taxes. All right, let's move now to the challenges of the, the tax reform components that we'd like to maybe see go a different direction. So the governor has indicated, and, and we've got legislation now on the table, uh, that he'd like to raise some additional funds for Nebraska by increasing the sales tax rate sales tax rate by one cent, direct that money towards property tax. And then another concept is to eliminate some of the many uh, sales tax exemptions that uh, we have here in Nebraska, which if they're not business inputs, policy experts like you, the Platt Institute, and, and certainly other national tax policy uh, experts, agree that eliminating those sales tax exemptions on non-business inputs is a good idea. So I want you to walk now our listeners through three things. The challenges, and if this is good policy, of directing state sales tax to local property taxes rather than keeping it within state tax reform. And then walk our listeners through the policy of raising the sales tax rate in Nebraska, what that would do. And then finally, let's then you and I can have wrap things up by having a conversation on the sales tax exemption. So let's let's dive in now and talk about the overall policy of, of directing sales tax money towards local property taxes. So this is what we call a tax swap. So you pick up new money at the state level and you use it to lower the tax at the local level. So this is a tax swap. Generally speaking, states should avoid doing tax swaps. I, I'm not saying that it should never occur, but it's probably not a big lever you want to pull. What happens with a tax swap? Who pays actually changes because when you look statewide, who pays all the sales taxes, that's going to be a slightly different group than who pays all the property taxes. So by shifting from a, a, a prop more heavier property tax to heavier sales tax, you're actually shifting a little bit who pays. It's really hard to figure it out, but you know, that's part of why you should be cautious is it's unclear, like who's paying more, who's paying less. Because you are shifting the type of tax and different people pay more and less of different type of types of taxes. I would say as a second thing on the swap is when you raise new state revenues, it's best to use those state revenues to lower a state tax. That's very clean. It's very certain what you're doing. It reduces the risk of, let's call it leakage of when you're moving money between state and locals. So we're going to send the locals more money, but are they going to, you know, really use it dollar for dollar? And then we have to let them raise some new taxes somehow. And so when you keep that new state revenue at the state level and use it to lower state taxes, that avoids kind of this risk of, of leakage. Having said all of that, there is, the state is already putting money, as we just talked about, to reduce school property taxes. They're doing it through this big credit you take on your income tax return. 
So I think it's a very good idea that that money's already allocated. Put it towards directly lowering the property taxes for schools. That's actually the effect that they're trying to achieve is you, they, they're trying to lower the dollars paid in school property taxes by 25%. So the best way to do that is to just actually lower property tax levies by 25%. Everybody gets the tax relief. We know the problem with this credit system is not everybody's using it. So the state is ending up with money on its balance sheet that was supposed to be to lower your property taxes by 25%. So that type of swap that, that the state is already committed to, I would just call that finish the job lower that property tax dollar for dollar based on the resources that the state has already put towards that. Now, you mentioned at the, the top of this question that the governor's proposed raising the sales tax by one percentage point. So going up, I, I would again urge caution whenever we're talking about raising one a cent, rate, right? One cent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whenever we're talking about raising a rate, you are reducing competitiveness. That's just... It's, What's a competitive tax code? Broad-based, low rates. So whenever we're talking about raising a rate, we're reducing the competitiveness of the tax code, whether that's income, property, sales, whatever that rate is that we're increasing. And so why, why would a sales tax rate be getting increased here? There's actually another way to go that we're going to talk about of expanding the sales tax. But what happens when you raise the rate? So right now, Nebraska's kind of goods producing manufacturing sector suffers from what's called tax pyramiding. They buy a lot of goods. The sales tax in Nebraska is applied almost exclusively to goods. So they keep paying sales tax on things that they buy, sell, and transact on versus the service sector where there's not, where there's not really a consumption tax on the service sector they're exempt from this tax pyramiding, this tax stacking that occurs on the goods sector. So if Nebraska raises the rate on sales tax and that rate is applied mostly or almost exclusively to goods and not services, you're just exacerbating a problem that already exists, which is the goods sector, the production sector is overpaying in a sense on sales tax because the service sector is not subject to sales tax. So balancing that out would be the way to go if you want new sales tax dollars. You know, rewinding all that, we are for raising new sales tax dollars, but we are still not keen on using it to throw at local governments for lower property taxes. So what you're getting at with as many exemptions that we have on a sales tax and the fact that goods are more heavily taxed with that sales tax, we have a bias in our sales tax system. Is that correct? It, it's, it's a bias. It's an historic accident. It's because when states created sales taxes, their economies were based on goods and it was kind of complicated for them to imagine taxing services in a way that's different now. And so what, what's ironic is the American economy, the, the, the higher growth sector is the service sector. It's now the dominant sector. And so we're overtaxing this legacy goods production sector that we now as a country are starting to realize like we really need more goods productions, more manufacturing. We're overtaxing them with the sales tax. And so just raising the rate that we subject them to would just make worse a problem that already exists on those industries. And outside of the great policy considerations that you brought up about raising the sales tax rate, it also makes us uncompetitive. And there's issues of border bleed that accompany those types of sales tax rate increases as well. Is that correct? 
Right. So Nebraska is a heavy border population state, right? So it's easy to jump, jump those borders. Compare that with a state like, say, Colorado, where you've got Denver, Colorado Springs and Boulder. They're right in the middle of state. You could raise their sales tax. They're not going anywhere. You know, that's a couple hundred mile drive to do get a lower sales tax in a, in a border state. In Nebraska, big population, Omaha and Douglas, that's literally just crossing bridge, crossing the river to, you know, shop in a different jurisdiction. So Nebraska always has to think about that bleed, whether it's a sales tax, whether it's a tobacco tax, whatever it is, because the border's right there for so much of Nebraska's population. All right. Now let's get into the final components, and that's the elimination of some of these sales tax exemptions to bring in revenue. Talk about that just as a general policy recommendation, and then maybe touch specifically on what the Nebraska legislature and the revenue committee is going to be looking at with some of these expansion bills. So as a general concept, we want to tax final retail consumption. So if I'm purchasing a car, you know, that that's retail consumption. If I'm getting my car repaired, a service, that is retail consumption. If I'm getting designs put on my car, that's retail consumption. If I'm using my car to drive my wife somewhere to get her haircut and nails done, the haircut and nails done, that's final retail consumption. That's what we want tax. That's what tax experts say. Just tax final retail consumption generally and broadly and do it at a low rate. Because when you have that broad base, then you can have a low rate. So the legislature has been talking about this and looking at this, and they are considering removing exemptions. So right now, a lot of services that aren't taxed, you, you could say that they're getting an exemption. They basically are because they're not subject to the retail sales tax that you know goods producers are subject to. So there are some good ways to limit those exemptions, but then we are also seeing some that are maybe on, they're, they're just unhelpful. Um, we don't want to see the sales tax extended to things that businesses purchase. Because that gets back to this idea of tax pyramiding, which maybe a better way to say that is tax stacking. When a business buys something and then buys another thing and buys another thing, and if they keep if the business keeps paying tax on each of those purchases, ultimately, who pays that tax is the final consumer of whatever that business sells. And that final consumer doesn't realize that there's 20% sales tax stacked into this product I just bought because they, they just don't see that process. So we don't want tax stacking. So there's the example of, you know, there's a proposal to tax digital ads. Digital ads are something that businesses purchase. And so if we add a tax on, they have to purchase those to make sales. If we add a tax on that, then, you know, that's going to end up coming out on the cost of a good or service that's just not transparent and not seen. There are a couple other uh, business inputs that are being discussed for uh, being taxed. And we would just say avoiding Avoid taxing things that businesses are buying. Tax things that businesses sell as a final retail sale to a consumer. Michael, anything else you would like to convey to our listeners about the tax proposals that are currently awaiting legislative debate this session? Well, there's, there's a lot of proposals and we've discussed a lot of them being great and some of them being not so great. But I think that I, I would want folks to walk away with a lot of optimism because everything Nebraska needs to have a tremendous 
reform of property taxes this year and maybe some other reforms that are really important. Everything is on the table uh, for those things to be achieved. So we just want to steer more towards the really good reforms and steal our way from the things that have, you know, trade-offs and costs that are not immediately available or not immediately, you know, seen. And so th I'm really optimistic. I think folks should be really optimistic. There's great things done on the income tax last year, great opportunities for that same thing on the property tax and more this year. Michael, thanks for helping us unpack what's before us in the Nebraska legislature and what good policy looks like. I want to remind our listeners that we have a lot of tremendous resources that Michael has done for us on our website at platinstitute.org. And I would encourage you to leverage those resources as you're trying to learn about, learn more about Nebraska tax policy. Michael Lucci, Platt Institute Senior Tax Advisor, thank you for joining me on this episode of Nebraskanomics. Thanks for having me, Jim. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you want more economic freedom in Nebraska, please visit platinstitute.org to make a donation to help fund our research and advocacy. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter and learn about today's most important issues facing Nebraskans. It's time to stop the status quo. Let's remove economic barriers and make Nebraskans proud.